0: This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. I'm so excited to share our guest this week with you guys. Can't wait to get into the episode. I hope everybody is off to a great start in the new year. It's so interesting based off of the episode I released last week about reframing intention setting versus making resolutions. I found it so interesting. I was listening to an astrology podcast that I love. Shout out to Astrology for the Week. I had podcast with Channy Nicholas, and I was totally proving myself right based off of last week's episode. Because in the episode, I was talking about how I was really excited for 2023, but I feel like there's no need to rush. You can really do this intention setting and goal setting on your own time, in your own way, and let it be a slow burn. And it was so crazy because I was listening to Channy these podcasts this week, and it totally verified everything I had just said in an astrological sense, which I just think is so funny. I'm starting to get into a bit more of astrology and just learning more about it so it was really wild to just listen to the astrology for this week basically saying hey if things are still slow if your january still feels really slow that is okay and that is actually how it is supposed to be so it felt really great to kind of feel like i was intuiting that a bit for all of us on that same wavelength as well so Go ahead, listen to that episode, last week's episode. If you are curious to know a little bit more of my process, how I manifest, how I goal set, how I refresh and reset for the new year, there's actually a really fun worksheet attached to that episode. So you can actually download that and kind of fill it out alongside Um, The process that I explain. But, anyways, it's been a really fun week. I've kind of been simmering. And since I recorded that episode, I've actually gotten even more into my own process around this. I created, and this is not sponsored in any way but I created a notion board and for those of you who don't know what notion is it's basically like a task manager sort of like Asana sort of like monday.com if you will but it is one of those places where it is a little bit more free form you can kind of make your own pages and boards and organize it in a little bit more of like a systemized pinterest way so basically I decided to set up A notion board for my life. I was sharing this on my stories a bit and I was really inspired by the episode I did with Sam Doyle about creating monthly archetypes around cycle syncing. So I've been bringing my monthly archetypes into this board and making it a part of my process. So I have just been having so much fun with this and honestly, maybe I'll record my own episode about how I do this and how I set things up if you guys are curious. But anyways, I just wanted to fill you in that I am still fully in this process. I am like letting myself really, really take my time and not feel rushed and do this on my own timeline and in my own way. So even if you haven't gotten behind any of this, I still think it's the perfect time to go back and listen to last week's episode if you're curious to kind of get into a bit more of an intention setting reset mindset for the year. As I've been organizing my notion board, I actually made a really fun page which is dedicated to different date ideas because one of my intentions this year is to really start prioritizing all my relationships. I'm someone who can get super taken away by prioritizing work and wellness and all these other things and I've found that historically sometimes I just won't leave enough time for just my relationships, my social life, et cetera. So I made a really fun board on my Notion. It's actually date ideas, and there's basically different lists and categories for things like restaurants we wanna go to, activities, fun weekend, getaway ideas, and I made a timely category for my loose ideas around Valentine's Day. Now, I'm not a crazy Valentine's Day celebrator, but I always love to do something special. This is actually a great time to talk about one of our sponsors super quickly, who I'm really passionate about. I want to share with you the Mindful Intimacy card deck by Wonderlust. You've heard me talk about it here before. It's an intimacy game designed to spice up and deepen your relationship. It's perfect for date nights. It's perfect for quality time. It's really, really easy to play. I actually have spent many nights playing the game with my partner, asking, ourselves really great connecting questions. It's brought up really important facets of our own relationship and dating life. So the first level of the game is to warm things up with romantic prompts. It's a lovely icebreaker and level two gets more into exploring your desires. You get a little deeper, you dig more into spicier prompts that guide conversations around sex, adventures in bed, date night ideas. So I've been taking a lot of the things that I've actually been talking about with my partner playing the mindful intimacy card game and implementing it into my own intentions for 2023. I've been putting some of these ideas straight into our date night ideas notion board. So it's been really fun fun to actually be playing something super tangible in the moment and then bringing it into something that we both want to implement into our own relationships. So head to wanderlust.co backslash bedside, enter the discount code bedside, that's B-E-D-S-I-D-E in the checkout cart for your discount. That's wanderlust.co backslash bedside, discount code bedside. All right. I'm so excited to get into our podcast episode today with Dr. Amir Murashi, who is our wonderful guest who will be joining us. He is also known as the vagina whisperer by many, many of his colleagues and clients, and you'll hear exactly why in our episode today. Dr. Mirashi is an internationally acclaimed OBGYN, vaginal surgeon. He's dedicated 20-plus years of his career to revolutionizing the standard medical approach to female anatomy, promoting sexual wellness, and providing orgasm equality for people with vaginas. He recently launched the first line of physician-backed anatomically aligned vibrators through his brand Seray, which by the way, fun fact, after this interview, Dr. Marashi and I both realized that I actually had consulted him on his sex toy brand before it officially launched in the world, so I didn't actually know the name and I didn't know the physician behind it, but we both realized that I had given my advice and sense on branding in the sexual wellness industry pre-launch for this brand. So it's so cool to see that not only he's created amazing product, which he explains on this episode, but it's really cool to know that I was kind of a small little touch point in this process of them creating this product, which is just so cool. What a small world moment. Anyways, Dr. Marashi, his incredible story begins in Iran, where as the young son of a surgeon, he began providing women and girls in his community with with essential and often emergency care, which included handling dangerous cases of female genital mutilation, delivering babies, and performing high menoplasties to prevent violence from men. Basically, you are going to hear what a crazy story Dr. Marashi had, how he really came up in this space of reconstructing vaginas, doing labiaplasty, and how he's now brought it into his own OBGY practice today. You can hear from this episode just how passionate he is about proper education around female anatomy, pleasure, and of course, changing medical industry standards, which is just so incredible. On this episode, we get into the nitty-gritty of hymenoplasty, vaginal reconstruction, labiaplasty, the different taboos around all of these procedures we also get so detailed we had such a blast talking about the anatomy of the vagina the clitoris different vaginal angles why the vaginal angle matters for pleasure the health benefits of orgasm best sex positions we even get two g zones for male-bodied individuals it was truly so fun we don't leave a single stone unturned in this episode with that said and without me spoiling too much let Let's please welcome Dr. Marashi to the Bedside Podcast. So Dr. Marashi, thank you so much for joining me on the Bedside Podcast today. I am absolutely thrilled to be speaking with you. You are definitely a well-known practitioner in the community of vaginal wellness. So I am just really, really excited to get into conversation but I think before we get into everything, my biggest question for you is how did you get started into this field? How, how did this begin for you?
1: Well, I mean... To begin medicine, it's kind of, I feel like it was genetic for me. I had to go to medicine because I didn't know anything else. And uh, maybe if I went back, I would have done it differently. But there was nothing else that I knew. My dad was a doctor and uh, we lived in a hospital. So that was how I grew up since I was four usually the memories go back to when you're like four, three, four years old. So all I remember is that we're in the hospital and back then we were in the middle of a war. So I'm just following my father into operating room everywhere. So knew that I'm going to become a doctor, but how I became a gynecologist and then went into the field that, uh, you know, I am right now. Kind of goes back to all the stuff that happened during medical school. So in Iran, I started doing my first contact with OBGYN uh, was uh, doing hymenoplasties. So I did tons of hymenoplasties because you've got to be a certified virgin. And, uh, you know, I've talked about it a lot. The first designer Regina fashion show that I did, I, in New York City, I talked about these hymenoplasties and I got death threats from Iran uh, from the government, from all different people, they're like, "Oh, you did something that was illegal. Doesn't matter. Even after twenty years, somebody is gonna find you, and you are lying to men." And I'm like, "Listen, it's not about lying to men. In reality, is that these men go do whatever they want to do, sleep with as many women as they want, and then when they want to get married, uh, the girl needs to be a virgin. So that's uh, that's not right. And if she's not, she may get killed on the night of wedding. So." You know, my mom has a different standard than my dad has. She's not supposed to hug and like kiss people's faces when we see them, you know, in parties. My sister can't stay out late. Thank God in America, you know, it's not a big deal if you're a virgin or not. So that's how I got into it initially. Got to learn anatomy of vagina because, you know, they take these patients. uh, Sometimes the mother-in-law, the day before wedding, they take her to like a reliable or like a family doctor of theirs to make sure she is really a virgin. So I kind of learned, I, I became a plastic surgeon with like this much tissue. So I'm like, you know what? I, I got better and better. And when I came here, I did, uh, I studied OBGYN in New York, uh, did my residency there. Um, I was in an area, my first office is in Brooklyn and we had a lot of patients from Senegal, Somalia, Egypt, and all of them. I mean, Brooklyn is, I'm not sure if you've ever been or not, but it's just...
0: Yes, I used to live. I used to live in Brooklyn. Perfect. So you know
1: what the mix it is. You have all different, I mean, they they would look at me and they think I'm Brazilian. They couldn't tell where you're from because they're all different kind of people there. And I had all these people from Africa and Africa with female genital mutilation. They had their clitoris cut when they were a kid. And so I started trying to help them, you know, regain their function. Uh, you know, went to a couple of doctors who do this and know more of it in Europe, talked to some doctors who've dealt with it before. It started to, because it's something that doesn't exist out there and people don't talk about. It. So I started to do more and more of that. And I mean, I'm so thankful to those patients, because they are the ones that opened my eyes, you know, to the entire anatomy in that area that's not even taught in, you know, residency. Uh, no, nobody knows. Clitoris is like, completely censored from everywhere, you know, the real anatomy. But so that that's how it is started. And then of course, you know, the anatomy, you start getting patients, you know, in the middle of the night, somebody called me Oh, you know, we were at in the Hamptons. And uh, my girlfriend was on jet ski. She flew off the jet ski, came down with her vagina on top of the, you know, handlebars. And she has this huge hematoma. And this guy's a doctor. She has this huge hematoma size of a grapefruit. And we took her to Lenox Hill. They're doing like CT scan. They're like, we're not going to even touch this. And I'm like, well, they probably saw they don't need to touch it. So waiting another next day, they call me, they're like, "Well, listen, this is really bad. Can we bring her to you? So they brought her to me and she is, you know, she's a dancer. She didn't want any incision outside. So when you know the anatomy well, and I've gotten, I focused, I, my whole life, my whole surgeries became just doing surgeries around the vagina and doing endometriosis cases. These were the only two things I was doing. I gave up delivering babies almost seven years ago because I wanted to focus on one thing. If you want to do 10 different things, you cannot You cannot be successful in it. But so I started doing that. So they called. And I'm like, well, let me see. I examined her. This huge hematoma. And people are scared to open this because if you start opening this, it's going to bleed more. And you're going to be lost. You're going to disfigure her. I'm like, listen, I've never dealt with something like this with the way that I want to deal with it but you are telling me you're a dancer you want the outside to look nice I have a lot of porn stars they're like you know I know that you're making money from this or at least you may want to show it off so I'm going to do an approach I'm going to do it from inside the vagina and nobody has ever done it it's never been reported uh we taking a leap of faith and I'm like just understand that there are risks with it and she's like, no, I completely understand. I trust you. Everybody said you're good. We did it. It went so well. She's so happy to this day. We are always in touch. Ended up publishing it in a uh, British medical journal. And New York Post, everybody, no, nah, not New York Post. Yeah, New York Post and everyone else picked up the story because you know what is the jet ski story? You know, you start when you focus on one thing, It's just, you know, the podcast you do, you focus on just one angle. You get good at it. If you start doing like a million different things, oh, you know, I do my pap spheres and this and that, you can never. But so I I try to just focus on that. And thank God to all these patients who trusted me. uh, It just increased my experience because it's it's like art. It's like painting. The more of it you do, uh, the better you get. And of course, unfortunately or fortunately, you get more complicated Cases because patients come to you who everybody else told them no we cannot touch this we are not going to do that so that's that's a good thing so when I get like an easy easy patient I'm happy I'm like wow this is going to be an easy labioplasty
0: (laughs) yes absolutely and I mean there's a reason why you've been coined as the vagina whisperer which I'm so eager to hear that story but I think before we go into that you know I want to touch a bit on kind of this idea of getting hymenoplasty. Um, Tell me a little bit more about like what that was like, because was that your first experience kind of working in the surgical and medical field around vaginas? Was that the like introduction for you?
1: So before that, I was was in surgical field. I mean, I was stitching all my dad's patients. I was triaging between like dead and alive patients who were coming from the war, you know? like five, six years old, they would come, a dump truck would come right after every mission they had. And back then it wasn't, people were not that advanced. So this dump truck would have like 40, 50 corpse on the back. Some were alive, some were not. But apparently if they left these soldiers back there, uh, the enemy would come and they would just shoot them in the head or they would take them hostage. So they would just dump everybody in the truck. They would bring them and they they would dump them outside the hospital. So I had to... Go through them. My dad taught me, you know, how to check the pulse. So it was him, a couple of nurses, everybody's running around. Initially, my responsibility was that take a white sheet, I would carry the white sheets with myself. So people that they would declare they are dead, I would just put the white sheet on their faces. So doctors and nurses don't get distracted to go like, but that was the first with surgery. So I I was never, I mean, never scared of blood. When you see those, uh, I feel like if that happens to any kid here, they would be, you know, in therapy for PTSD for the rest of their lives. But I think it was normal back then. My dad is like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Let him do it. It's, you know, he loves it. Uh, But with the vagina, uh, it's uh, back in my days when I went to med school, usually it was very difficult to get laid or have sex. Basically, and even the girls when they would have sex with you, it, if it was somebody who was like somebody's girlfriend for many years, they, they would call it, they wanted to, a lot of them wanted to save their virginity. So either they would have like anal sex, or most of them, they would have this thing, you would basically put it in between their legs, and they, they would call it this, this is so funny and so backward, they called it uh, lapai, means in between the legs. So it's a, it, that was what people do. So honestly, the first time I actually saw a vagina in person was the first time I was doing a hymenoplasty. You know, So it wasn't on my girlfriend, it wasn't on anybody else. It was the first time I was doing a uh, hymenoplasty. And the first 10, 15 times, it wasn't me on my own, because of course, I didn't know the anatomy that well. Uh, my father introduced me to a good friend of his, God bless his soul, the guy passed away. He's a very good gynecologist. And uh, and I'm like, listen, my friends are asking me about this hymenoplasty. Would you do it? He's like, yes. And he wanted to be nice to me. He knew that I'm going to operate him. he's like, why don't you come help me? And I give you, you know, the assistant fee because he was charging them. Of course, I'm not like, oh, sure. You know, you're in medical school. I'm like, and after like five, 10 of them, I'm like, well, I, I can do this. So the, the girls would ask me, oh, I'm like, listen, this doctor, he's amazing. And he's charging this much, let's say whatever, $50. They're like, well, I can't afford it. We are a student, this, that. Well, listen, if you want, I would do it for free for you. So most of, I mean, I think I did at least like 30, 40 for free. And then I started charging like a little bit, or if I didn't charge them, they usually got me gifts. A lot of friends that I have is still on Facebook or message me after like 25 years, they are like, Oh my God, you saved my marriage. If my husband only knew that you made me certified virgin. And I'm still friends with a lot of them and their husbands and their family. And they went, you know, I had to have a very beautiful family. So
0: what a story. Um, I'm curious to know since you came from a culture that like really didn't talk or condone sex before marriage. What did you have any sort of dialogue around sex or sexuality growing up? Like, did your parents talk? Talk about it. Did you talk about it in school? What what was that like for you? You know,
1: in a school, it was very hush, hush, and things were very closed off. It was an all-boys school. There are no, you know, uh, mixed schools, of course. So the guys are all like, oh, my God. I mean, in medical school, no, medical school, you have male and female, but you're sitting on two different sides. But in the school, uh, we were completely separated. I didn't do my first hymenoplasty until I was like 17 years old. So I was already in medical school. I finished high school when I was 15, uh, like three years earlier than my classmates. And I started medical school when I was 15, 15 and a half. Uh, so that's one of the other things that my dad pushed into. But uh, in high school, no, it's, you, you wouldn't talk about these things. I mean, the kids talk to each other and they're like, oh my God, it just stupid talks. Like you don't know. Oh, you know what? You heard like if people who are like this, their vagina looks like that. And nobody knew. And you know what? I I found a Playboy magazine in my dad's closet that he had from before revolution. And I took like a couple of papers out of it. I took it to school and thank God they didn't find out. And one of the kids said, oh my God, I need this. I need this. I'm like, no, no, I got to take it back home. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to buy it from you. And this kid was very wealthy. So he was he paid me whatever he had and he gave me his lunch today to just get this and he's like dude this is this doesn't even exist in iran because it didn't it was from before revolution so it, it was very closed off but fortunately my father was not he was he was a man of science and you know he always wanted to i remember it happened to me when I was eight, nine. One of the kids uh, told me that, oh, I have a little brother. And my mom and dad uh, prayed and God gave us a brother. I'm like, well, you know, God gave you a brother. But, you know, your mom and dad didn't just pray. Your dad's sperm. And he's like, what is a sperm? I'm like, well, a sperm... You know, is a cell that comes from out of your dad's penis and penis. You know, I said it in like a baby word, you know, on, from your dad's weenie. And it goes inside your mommy's like, you know, uh, and he's like, no, that's so dirty. My mom and dad never do these kind of things. And then he called, he told the principal and I was basically, they called my dad. They didn't let me go back to class. And I said, this is what your son said. And my dad said, well, he said the truth. You want him to, that, uh, they're like, who taught him that? My dad said, I taught him. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> that is a hysterical story. That is so. And cool.
1: that is okay, you know, today, if that happens in a school here, I mean, it's still, you know, they may call the parents, but imagine this is, we are talking about 35 years ago in Iran you know, that Iran is already like 20, 30 years back with the culture. 35 years ago in Iran, it was it was ground for expulsion of me. And but, you know, my dad was, you know, they needed him kind of. He was the only doctor in town and everything. So they're like, oh, you know what? Please tell him it's okay. We know it's the truth. But Make sure he doesn't talk about these things in yeah. class.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. What a wild story. Okay, so now kind of transcending from your childhood a bit, you know, I've heard you talk how it was your was it your nurses or your residents who coined you as the vagina whisperer?
1: It's from the n- nurses, the operating room nurses. I it is started in Haiti. You know, I, I've done a lot of surgeries internationally, I mean, the uh, nonprofit work that I do and everything. So we had this patient who basically everybody has told her they can't do anything for her. And she was outcast from society. Actually, her family, husband and kids left her too. And she was kind of this homeless lady in Haiti who's walking around. But she heard that uh, a doctor from America is here. So she came there and they told me, you don't want to see her. I'm like, why? Let's see if she has a problem. Like, Nobody wants to see her. I'm like, why? And they said in French, they're like, she smells like shit. They like, go, why? They're like, she smells like shit. They said that, you know, if she takes off her pants, that smells like shit too. So I'm like, let's see her. And we didn't, of course, have imaging studies or anything. I examined her and... Of course, it's just there's so much discharge and everything. And you can't really examine. There's no good light. We are in the middle of like a makeshift hospital after earthquake. Well, I look, I'm like, you know what? I bet you she has a fistula between her rectum and her vagina.
0: Is that like, like an opening?
1: Like an opening, like a hole that's okay. open. And usually happens, you know, if they don't repair you really well after vaginal delivery or like a um long, you know, last stage of vaginal delivery that the vagina expands so much that you basically have that opening there. But usually doctors see it and the patient gets a treatment. But this is back in Haiti. she never got treated. So I'm like, let's admit her. We're gonna we told her we're gonna fix you. And these nurses said, no way. And you couldn't see anything inside her vagina really. So I admitted her tomorrow morning, I'm gonna come for surgery. We are, no, we actually, we couldn't keep her, I think at night in the hospital because they said, everybody's gonna run away. She needs to come tomorrow morning. So she came in the morning, we cleaned the vagina, the inside of the vagina really well. And after I did like all the cleaning with betadine under anesthesia, because there's so much stool even sitting in the vagina and the discharge routine, because the stool is coming there and it was a mess. I'm like, just let's put her on antibiotics and all those. And I like literally found the fistula. We had to open up the back wall of the vagina, posterior wall completely. We had to repair the rectum and the fistula. And listen, there was no smell after that. And she is so happy to this day. I know a couple of midwives that are working in Haiti. They're like, you know, whenever she sees us, she's like, you know, this guy. Uh, Dr. Marashi saved my life. So th- that's when the nurses immediately told me, you know what, you are kind of a vagina whisperer. And one of those nurses actually worked after that in the U.S. with me. So they started saying it in the OR and everybody said it. So then it just stuck with me.
0: So transformational. And I'm sure, too, because it's it's interesting, because I think when people hear like, vaginoplasty or like hymenoplasty and all of these things it's very taboo it's funny because I think like even the way I think of it and I feel like we should debunk this right now it's like people think of it as like this cosmetic vanity thing and even if it is right because people get nose jobs people get boob jobs and we don't question it you know it's really interesting that i think that there's this taboo around it specifically whereas like you're still you're helping so many people who have real problems but then there's also people who just want some like vanity you know changes
1: listen you know i tell people if, if somebody comes and asks me oh do i need a labioplasty my answer the first thing is that listen you don't need anything it's what you want now. Most of the patients I do, they actually have a problem because usually the complicated cases end up coming to me. My labioplasties, fifty percent of them are actually repairing a botched labioplasty that they already got one, and I re, 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 basically I fix it. But uh, so that's fifty percent of them. But no, some patients come like. Because they kind of you know listen to a podcast or they saw they've been following me on Instagram or they heard from somebody about their very good experience, so they're like, oh, you know what? I want to go to him because I want to get it done right the first time. But there are a lot of times that you're doing this for functional reasons. There are people who have so much irritation down there because of a large labia, and there are some people who are not just happy with it. I, I mean, I had I'm trying to break the taboo as well. I have patients who, because look, in women, orgasm, a lot of it happens in the brain. So you have to really be mentally prepared and all those. I have a lot of patients who tell me, you know what, I cannot have the lights on because uh, I just feel ashamed of the way that that area looks. And I'm like, well, listen, there's no problem with it. But she's like, listen, I don't want it to look like that. I want the labias to be smaller, more tucked in. And after you do the procedure, she's like, look, I want the lights to be on. I want him to go down on me all the time. I didn't want that before. And I feel I'm getting so much better orgasm. So it's basically to them. Look, I'm coming from a country that if you were gay, they would throw you down a building because they don't or if you dyed your hair pink, it was like, Oh, what are you? You're a punk or something. They would basically put you in prison or do bad things to you. So it's none of my business. I may have my own ideology about all your sexuality or the color of your hair or what kind of makeup you use. But that's for me, I can choose not to put makeup on. That is the beauty of, you know, you deciding about your own body. And it's so sad. People fight with me all the time. The same people who say, oh, you know what, your autonomy, your body, you know what abortion is legal, which is, you know, your own choice. They come and they're like, oh, why are you cutting people's labias? Why? I'm like, listen, I'm not cutting it. If they want to do it, if they are coming to me and they want to do it, I prefer to do it the right way rather than them getting botched. And I don't go to, I never go like, oh, advertise, be like, oh, please come to your labioplastics with me. As a matter of fact, I'm more expensive than most people. So if you come to me and a lot of times people say, oh, you know what? I heard somebody else does this for like $3,000, $4,000, I talked to them please go to them. People need to do it the right way. And the problem, the problem with cosmetic gynecology is that it grew up too fast. So there isn't any training on it. That is the biggest part. We don't have any training in residency neither for plastic surgeons or OBGYNs. That is a really big issue. So people start, I mean, trying to do it because imagine you have a doctor who delivered your baby or delivered your mother and you're like, oh, mom, I want a labioplasty. Oh, let me go. Let me take you to doctor whatever. Uh, Leslie, she's my gynecologist for many years. And Dr. Leslie there, you know what? She's seeing insurance patients. She's doing like pap smears. They don't think that to themselves to, you know what, what if it goes wrong? And that is the biggest problem. Fortunately, people are getting more and more trained. I get a lot of doctors right now coming to my courses.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, don't you have, didn't you do a residency program or aren't you do a lot of training around this?
1: I do a lot of training all over. Also, uh, I actually have the first Basically for the residents, uh, the residents came and they told me, look, we don't get any rotation on cosmetic gynecology. So I have the first cosmetic gynecology rotation in the nation, maybe in the whole world, but I don't wanna you know, claim that because I don't know, maybe somebody else had it, but we actually, people come to me for a whole month of cosmetic gynecology rotation. Uh, mm-hmm. It's good because if you don't get the exposure and then you wanna go learn it on your own, it becomes like, it's funny. I always make example of this. I went to Dubai and there's this very nice doctor with busy practice comes to me and she's like, well, I've been doing labioplasties for many years. I'm like, well, that's really good. I'm like, where, how did you start? Like, where did you get trained? Because we all know like somebody, it's just a small community, especially in the beginning. She said, no, no, no. I watched a couple of YouTube videos and then I started doing it. I'm like, listen, it, it's good. And then she was telling me, she was, I'm like, but But listen, by now she's gotten very good, but I'm sure the first like 10, 15, you know, I don't want to even look at them, but she was telling me, look, it's, it's just different. You can watch a YouTube video and you can make a robot these days. I'm like, yeah, but if it goes wrong, it's the robot. This is somebody's vagina. You know, it becomes like all these people who come to me and be, oh, I lost sensation on the right side after this doctor did, or the right looks like this, the left looks like that.
0: Right in line with all of this talk around vaginas with Dr. Murashi, I'm excited to tell you about one of our favorite vulva vaginal care lines, Momotaro Apotheca. I've been using their products for years and I can't tell you enough about them. Momotaro Apotheca is a certified organic and cruelty-free body care line that works gently yet effectively to systematically address symptoms associated with common vulva vaginal issues stemming from infection and general irritation. Between your wildest sex escapades to something as simple as exercising, we all know what it's like to feel irritation down there. And that's where Momotaro Apotheca's suite of plant-based UTI supplements, suppositories, body tonics, tinctures, salves, and oils come in. Head over to momotaroapotheca.com and use the discount code BEDSIDE to access your next best ritual. That's momotaroapotheca.com, discount code BEDSIDE, B-E-D-S-I-D-E, at checkout. I'll see you there. It's so funny because like I remember even my mom telling me when she gave birth, it was either to me or my brother and she was like, oh my God, like I had, she, I think she had some sort of vaginal tear and one of her biggest complaints to this day was the fact that whoever sutured her up didn't know what they were doing, you know, and she was like, I just wish so badly, I remember her telling me this, like I wish that there was someone who was properly educated and suited to be able to like you know, really get me back to where I once was. So do you do a lot of um, people who have like had birth? Do they ever, is that kind of like a large amount of your clientele who come back?
1: Yes, so a lot of people, because you know what, and it's not the doctor's fault who is delivering the baby. When you are delivering the baby, it's a, there's so much bleeding and everything is like so expanded there. And there's so much joy about that newborn the last thing you want to do is to sit down there and make it look really cute. So most of the time, doctors are just trying to close it as quick as possible, stitch it, make sure nothing is bleeding. So uh, th- there's no problem with those doctors. But I mean, of course, sometimes residents are learning. And I try to teach residents to do a better job even in delivery room. But a lot of the patients that we get are coming for vaginoplasty after they had, you know, a couple of babies. And, If you uh, allow me, I'm going to tell you about the angle because that is the most important thing in the vagina is the angle. Yes, tell me. Okay. So I tell people it's all about the angle. Look at my face. This is always my example. We all start like a plum. We end up becoming like a prune because we lose weight. We lose fat. We lose collagen. That's why my face used to be like this you know, I didn't have these creases. And now the older you get, it becomes more and more like that. So, I mean, you're much younger, so you don't have any of those yet. But Getting there. <laughs> and you probably have good skin yeah, products using. But this is what happens to everywhere. Same thing happens in the vagina. So even if you don't have a baby, of course, with delivery and with pregnancy, that kind of expedites things. But even if you don't have a kid, you start losing collagen. So the vagina initially, if uh, let's say this is the entrance of the vagina.
0: Guys, Dr. Murashi just whipped out the perfect mold of a vulva and a vagina.
1: (laughs) Oh, I have a lot of stuff. I have props because when I teach my patients, I need to show them, you know, the visual. Yes,
0: yes. But sorry, continue. I just, I had to tell listeners who aren't seeing how amazing this is.
1: Okay. So this is the vagina. So you're looking from the side. So imagine the patient is laying. I'm looking like this and the legs are up. So as I'm looking at the vagina, if you enter the vagina, the angle is downwards. It's like this. So it's kind of like a slope. So this is the normal angle. Why is it like that? Because when you have this slopey angle, and the penis enters, the penis stimulates the front wall of the vagina, the top wall. And the top wall is where you have your clitoris, where you have all the nerves that are going to clitoris, which by the way, we always thought there are only 8,000 nerves and we kept saying 8,000 nerves. They just, uh, last week was ISSM conference, which we actually had had two presentations in it. And there are over 10,000 nerves in the front wall of the vagina. Um, because the study was done in uh, cows and sheeps before. So right now they did a study on human and there are over 10,000 nerves. So this is really big. So when you have the angle downwards and the penis enters, you're stimulating the front wall of the vagina. That's good. As you have kids, as we get older, just like losing the angle on the face, this becomes flat too they're like, oh, my partner doesn't feel that much. But the most important thing, forget about even the penis and not feeling, I mean, they can do masturbate, they can go masturbate. But what happens, you don't get a stimulation on the front wall of the vagina, like you were getting before. What is the problem with that? It's the mm-hmm. negative reinforcement. You're like, oh, okay, I had sex, I didn't enjoy it, I didn't come. I didn't have an orgasm. Guess what? Next time when my partner wants to have sex, I'm not really keen to do it. And that's why people start wanting to have less and less sex. Because look, I always tell people, it's like you go to this restaurant that looks beautiful. The awning is nice. The sign is nice. The ambiance is great. That's the beautiful woman, beautiful partner, whoever, whether it's a woman or man, and then you have sex with them and you don't get that satisfaction. For men, the satisfaction always happens. But for women, imagine... They don't get that satisfaction. well, The food in the restaurant was not good. So why do I want to stick with him again? So they keep growing apart and apart and apart. That's why one of the first things I tell people, I'm like, even before this, I'm like, try to make sure whatever it takes, make sure you have an orgasm when you have sex. Whether he has to go down on you, you have to masturbate because you want to reinforce. Remember, then you get a good orgasm you are getting your endorphins you are getting your serotonin you get your dopamine all of those happy chemicals it makes your body in a better state it makes it actually increases fertility it makes sleep better it's good for heart health so orgasms are so important so you don't want to skip them and if it's like a mechanical sex that he just comes and he's like boom 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 and nothing happened for you then you don't want to do it again. Uh, That's why angle of the vagina is really important. So in a lot of patients, when I fix the angle, correct the angle, and we bring it back to what it was now, instead of being flat, I make it downwards again. They're like, wow, I start feeling that I never felt before. Me and uh, my partner in research, Dr. Kimberly Lovey, she's great. Uh, Me and her are doing a lot of good research these days, uh, basically bringing science to the bedroom. Uh, They say like Masters and Johnsons, what they couldn't finish, we are trying to finish.
0: Which, by the way, is so incredible because there's such limited research. And it's just, I I love I love to hear that you're doing it because it's, there's hardly anything out there.
1: No, there isn't any research. There isn't any. So for the first time, we actually came up and look, you have to see, just like the penis getting engorged, you see when the clitoris gets engorged, you know, it's really things are working. So what we did, we started this ultrasound protocol, sonogram protocol, which we call it clitogram. So we look at clitoris and we see different things, how they stimulate it, different positions in sex. So one of we had two volunteers, very nice people, and they are in medical work. So they're like, oh, we want to volunteer to see. And we like literally different days, we did the clitogram in different positions. And we found out, and we actually published this recently, we found out uh, which position is the most rewarding for women. And that was- Which is what? But so missionary with- a pillow underneath buttocks, because look, you put the pillow, even your angle is not good. You bring it up, you're fixing your angle. So that's what the pillow does. So listen, not that you know the anatomy and you know, the vagina is like downwards. It's basically whatever you want to do to make that slope more steep. So, you know, what I do, I do is I bring this part higher, I tighten it at the bottom part. So the angle becomes better. But I have this procedure that I uh, actually created myself for years. I worked on it. That's another title my anesthesiologist gave me. He called me Vagilangelo. So, like the Michelangelo for the vagina. So, for that procedure, you know, it's much easier than a vaginoplasty. It's like, I call it like in office, minimally invasive vaginoplasty. We put a couple of stitches, we do some injections, but we fix, we basically correct the angle of the vagina. And I tell people, if you can't afford any of those, you know what else you can do to correct the angle? I mean, you listened to my podcast before, so I'm not giving anything away, but you can use a different sizes of butt plugs that are out there, but like an angle rectifier. So this is actually from my own brand that we made because we wanted the, again, with ultrasound, we made sure uh, the space, uh, the distance between here and here is exactly going underneath your perineal body. So there are a lot of butt plugs. This may look a little bit abnormal because this is a little longer than the other ones, but it was, we wanted to do the average size that you get the perineal body, you bring it up. So if you can't, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a fix forever. It's just when you're having sex, instead of putting the pillow on all of those things, you put this inside, you know, anus and boom, you fix the angle of the vagina.
0: I love that and and thank you for sharing tips for people who like maybe aren't comfortable or can't afford going through some like a larger procedure. So that's really exciting knowing like your pill- a pillow and a butt plug or an anal rectifier as you call it can assist on that. I also, so I'm curious to know, okay, so we're talking about the angle and you're saying it's beneficial because then if something, if a penis or whatever is inserted, then it, it's hitting that front wall. What is so um, special about that front wall of your vagina? Because I feel like a lot of people are always talking about, and I I know, you know, this, like most vulva owners get orgasms because of like an external clitoral stimulation. So what's happening internally? So this is
1: really important. That's, uh, you know, what, because we don't know, uh, The clitoris as much as or, you know, in uh, this happened around 1900, Uh, Freud like literally censored clitoris from every single textbook because he said, you know what, orgasm.
0: Was that Freud?
1: It was Freud, yeah. Orgasms need to happen by penetration only. And any orgasm that happens by a stimulation of the clitoris, and he called the clitoris the part that's outside only, which we're going to say why that's wrong. He said all the or- orgasms that happen from outside, touching yourself and everything, they are immature orgasms. That's exactly what Freud said. So if you want a mature orgasm, it happens from, you know, basically intercourse. And you see that Freud is a man. And uh, I mean, nothing against man, I'm a man, but reality is that You know, for many, many years, men have been in charge of everything, you know, chairman of all departments and all of those things. So, you know, it needs to happen by a man having sex with you, you know, still in some countries that are super backward, I'm not going to name the name of the country, but a very nice doctor came to me for training, goes back home to a country that sex toys are illegal and she was taking uh, one of our vibrators, the wand, actually, as a souvenir for herself. And I gave it to her, so she takes it, and the police there, they stop her, they're like, what is this? They look, and she's like, oh, it's a toy. I'm like, why do you need it? She's like, well, it's for myself, For I'm not selling it. They're like, well, you know, it's illegal here. Uh, but because they knew her, she's a doctor, they wanted to be nice to her. She said, well, I know, but I just brought it for personal use. Listen what they told her. They told her, well, if you need help in that department, doctor, you just tell me. I have a lot of guy friends and myself. We can always help you. You don't need to have this shit to use, you know? And they took that away from her. And the guy gave his number to her. He's like, don't worry about it. Whenever you need that, just call me. Wow. (laughs) So we come from that part. Listen, it it wasn't any different from that here in America, you know, or what Freud claimed for a very long time. What was F-U-C-K was fornication under consent of king. The king had to give you the consent for you to just go make a baby because that was the only reason that's wrong. So I'm going to tell you, so clitoris, what we see, and we're talking about external stimulation. You're only talking about the top part here, which is the clitoral, basically glands. Clitoris is a much larger organ that you're packing it underneath, and unfortunately, it wasn't in uh, medical books, and that's the reason I made this toy. I made it. Uh, it's called Lalalina. Lalalina. It's exactly like anatomy of clitoris. We made Lalalina because first of all, I wanted to give a lot of credit to clitoris. I wanted every man and woman to be able to see this and hold it in their hand. And I bet you, you show this to 90% of people out there. I don't say men or women, people. And I'm showing it to them. What is this? Even the person who was helping me after we designed it, me and Dr. Kim designed it, and we sent it to that factory. To this day, you know what they call this and we don't want them to know what the actual name is because I'm like, oh, we have it on the website and all those things. To this day, some people in that factory still call it the bird toy because they think this looks like a bird. What I realized, especially, you know, patients, uh, the victims of FGM, female genital mutilation, they have most of the time, this is the only part that's cut in them. So when you start dissecting and you go in, you can expose some other parts. And this whole clitoris, just like a penis, it gets engorged when you look with ultrasound, you do a clitogram, it becomes big, it gets filled with blood. So the internal part of clitoris is just as important. The only thing is that for all those women vulva owners, you know what, you've got to find the right position and the right place, and even the right partner to stimulate it, you know, and maybe start by stimulating it yourself. You know, a lot of toys that I, to me, best toys, and this is not uh, something that I only made, this is the best toy I feel. Uh, this is our spellbound. The reason is important and it's good is that you're getting double stimulation. So you have this part of it that works like an air pulse. So you put this on the external part of the clitoris. basically you're putting it on the glands and then you change the angle because everybody's angle is different. And you put this part inside and this vibrates. So this goes on your G zone, not G spot. G zone is the whole front wall of the vagina, which the clitoris is actually sitting. So if you see, this is, if this is the clitoris, this is the tip, this is sitting all around your vagina. So that's why this front gets all these blood supply and all the nerves. Guess what? The most sensitive part of your vagina after this, just go try it. The front wall and the back wall. The back wall of the vagina is so insensitive that when you're having a baby, it stretches from there. When they want to cut, we cut through there, through the back. Have you ever seen anybody cutting to front? No, exactly. Because it has too much sensation. Even your gynecologist, when they want to examine you, what do they do? They open up they put the speculum at the bottom and they push at the bottom because the least sensitive part, go to the front and it's going to be super, super duper sensitive. So you find a place. And if you know the anatomy, and that's why we're educating people, if they know what is really sitting inside, that is clitoris. Forget about G-spot, G-zone, all of that. All those nerves is actually your clitoris. The rest of it is inside. You are only an You only got into the tip of the iceberg. Wait until you start, you know, exploring it. And this is so funny. So people who use these devices, I have a couple of my family members, actually, they live in different states. And uh, uh, my partner's wife, they have this joke. They're like, you know what? They don't want to sleep with their husband anymore. One of my friends from medical school, she's telling me, she's like, well, listen, my husband can never do this. This is sitting on my G-zone. It's vibrating there, and this one is like is like two good partners on their best day. One is sucking your clitoris; the other one has a vibrator on his penis inside your vagina. She's like, I can't make that, you know. It's good to use it with your partners, but reality is that you have to. Everybody needs to explore the inner part of their clitoris because that is that is a very important part of the clitoris.
0: Yes, I, I love it. I love everything that you've said. And you know, I particularly about exploring the inner part of your clitoris and inside your vagina and understanding that because like, I just even remember it took me years to finally kind of explore that part of my body. And I was like, wow, why have I never had the confidence? And I realized it's because I never had the education around it. So I just was like, oh, I'm not even going to go near, you know, certain areas for a really long time. Um, But I do have to say it's, 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 you know, a toy is always lovely. And sometimes they just do what a human body can't do. Can't those angles sometimes like... <laughs> are so great to be able to to make on your own. So I, I love that you have that where you can really just contort something to work exactly for your body. And you
1: can use it with your partner. I mean, listen, it, I I tell people this is the safest. When they tell me, oh, I'm gonna leave my husband. I'm, oh no, this is the safest way of threesome. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> they, this is really like a safe way of doing it. And you know, to what you said that it took you many years. I mean, I'm glad that you finally found it and started exploring it because a lot of people don't ever go around that, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, for some reasons, you know, woman's psyche is very, women are very reserved, you know, until they are not when they are not, there is no stopping them. Don't mess with them because when they get to that point, they will conquer everything. And that's, by the way, that's the, that's the mistake. Um, the Islamic Republic, the government of Iran made, they started, they messed with men, nothing happened, they killed more and more. But when they started messing with women, they they can't stop it. They are, I mean, they would go back to 50 days ago and be like, you know what, just take off your scarves and just leave us alone. Now people want the government change because, you know, don't mess with women. So when you open it up, when you actually start exploring and learning about the inner part of your clitoris, there's no stopping it. And it just gets better. But remember, that area is called, even in anatomy books, we've been calling it pudendal area. Pudendal area, it's a, basically is a Latin word that means the area to be ashamed of. You know, so that is, that is where everything comes from. Even if you've seen Adam and Eve, you know, the photos, you, I mean, the uh, drawings you see, they always have that part of, you know, the leaf on top of, that area. But what, what's strong about the vagina? I mean, it, it's a beautiful organ. It's actually, I feel like it looks much better than penises because penises like hanging it just sometimes it looks good. Some but 99% of time it looks very bad, you
0: know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so true. And it, it's, you know, what's really funny too, is like, wh- what made me explore the like, inside of my vagina was I actually transitioned a couple years ago from using like tampons. I started using a diva cup or like a menstrual cup. And that was, I remember like when I first used it and I still, I know so many people are like, Oh my God, I could never use that. And, and like I say it was one of the biggest blessings of my sexual awakening and like evolution because it is the first time I really understood instead of just like quickly putting up a tampon and being like, I don't know what's going on. It's just soaking up blood. Like I really now like 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 I'm like, okay, I know the angle of my vagina. I know, you know, my hands go up there. I know what my vaginal walls feel like. I know like how to get something to sit up there properly. And it was like the best education so
1: touching yourself feeling inside there of course wash your hands always that's i tell people because you and wash your hand wash your toys make sure your partner washes themselves that's really important look um but start examining your own vagina because you, you kind of find out things that you never knew about
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm curious to know, so we've talked a lot about the clitoris, but I want to talk more about like what other parts of the body are you aware of that like are orgasmic, even maybe for people who are penis owners, what are spots that are also like erogenous and kind of can get you off?
1: Let's talk about women first and then we're gonna get to guys. So for women, the other parts that could be very actually orgasmic, and I, I tell people the third kind of orgasm we talked about vaginal clitoral orgasm. That's really the same thing because remember that's the rest of the clitoris that's sitting outside inside. But cervix, cervix in some people it's a very good orgasm, and some people could be super super painful. Now that only happens with deep deep penetration. So sometimes, then you have like a larger partner or longer partner, or in a specific positions, like in positions that are not very friendly with clitoris. You know, the least friendly position with clitoris that doesn't get the clitoris engorged is a doggy style, basically the knee chest position. It, it's it's a really good visual position for the male partner, but for a woman, it's not as great. You know, and that. That's tried and tested by ultrasound. But in that position, the vagina becomes so short. So even if your partner is on the shorter side, he can reach the cervix. So to get cervical orgasms, because they go through a completely different nervous system, you need to be ready for it. And sometimes, you know, you touch somebody's cervix, they just jump up. They don't like it.
0: Right. Like, especially if you're not, there's not enough foreplay or you're not warmed up enough, right?
1: You have to have a lot of foreplay. You know, it is the feeling you get because it goes through the vagus nerve and is parasympathetic. So the feeling you get is exactly like the feeling that if you had a deep throat and people say, oh, I get orgasms where like deep throat. It's not that, you know, some people say, oh my God, I want to puke. If something goes like that deep. But in some people, you get that vagus nerve and you kind of feel like that relaxation and everything, you feel like something is happening inside your body or you're like dying in a second and then you're not dying. So I heard that um, from a lot of patients who tell me. So that is the deep cervical orgasm is very similar to, you know, a deep throat orgasm. Other than that nipple, nipple is very sensitive in, you know, I don't have any percentage on it. Uh, We are actually trying to figure out, but trying to do like a questionnaire, like hundred patients see, but a lot of people have sensitive nipples and that's something that you either have it or you don't have it. And sometimes after you have like uh, a baby, you don't have that sensitivity. Sometimes it gets actually more sensitive, but remember nipple is an erectile tissue, just like clitoris too. So nipple gets bigger. So some people are sensitive in their nipples so that's a part that you really want to work on and of course for women i feel like there could be a lot of areas that are sensitive if they have the connection with the partner if you know if the brain is there and if you like that guy and if you still get butterflies for him or for that you know female partner you have if you get that butterflies for them you can look at them and you know you can get aroused. But playing with hair, of course, ears, all of these could be very sensitive areas. For men, of course, they're like visual things, but reality for men, the most sensitive part of the penis is uh, the glance of the penis. And uh, that is why when you do the Vagilangelo procedure, and that's why when men masturbate, they kind of make like a tight ring, they go up and down. So when you do Vagilangelo procedure, not only we tighten the vagina and we fix the angle, if you have sex with a male partner, as he's going through this like tighter ring that you have there, they're like the partner is like, wow. It just, it took him like two minutes. He needs to get used to this because this is like, Too good for him. So that is the tip of the penis, is of course very sensitive. And we can make all of them more sensitive by injecting uh PRP. I do a lot of PRP injection, stem cell injections, which sometimes you can actually have regrow of the nerves too when you do those kind of injections.
0: Are those injections for someone who like like might come in and struggle with orgasming? Like, is that usually a protocol?
1: Listen, yes. I mean, those patients, I do it for FGM patients. I also do it for people who just want to have better orgasms. I have this, I always, this is the story you probably heard a million times. If you listen to any of the podcasts, I have somebody who I usually say do it every three to six months, but I have someone who comes to me every single month. Like she finds me and she flies to me every month. I'm like, listen, you don't need to spend so much money. Don't come like every month. You don't need it. So her answer to me always is this. She's like, Dr. Marashi, can you ever have enough money? I'm like, but do you mean? I'm, I, I don't even charge you sometimes. You come so. She's like, no, no, it's not about that. She's like, orgasm is like money. I feel like I can't ever have good enough orgasms. You do it and it feels so good. And then next time I start exploring different things and it gets even better because it's, it's your own, basically it's your own growth factors that you're using. It's from your own blood and you're injecting. And of course you start making everything more sensitive. So she claims, I don't know, of course, this is not something I can test and uh, haven't tested, but she claims that sometimes as she's having like intercourse for like, 10, 15 minutes, she like, she literally gets an orgasm every minute of it. And she doesn't want to stop. So,
0: <laughs> wow, she's, she's like, your most loyal customer that is. Oh, she, she's, the, she, she's, she's, I mean, I,
1: I, I know that every month she would come to me. And sometimes <laughs> if she's like, oh, if you have any classes and you're teaching, if you need a model, I'm going to be there.
0: I love that. So, much. I, I haven't heard that in, in, so that was, that was new to me. Um, okay. that, that is amazing. <laughs> um, okay. But really quickly, cause I don't want to ignore our like penis population over here. So, so you said the, the most sensitive part is like the glands where else? Cause like, I know, like, tell me about the balls. Tell me about the gooch. Tell me about the prostate. <laughs> I'm going to tell
1: you that really, I mean, The glands is the most sensitive, most accessible part. But really, if you want to really go for basically the bull's eye and get the G spot or G zone for men where all the nerves are basically crossing each other, you got to go for the prostate. And a lot of men are closed off to that. If they are closed off to that, you can start by doing this. So imagine this was a penis. Let's um so let's say this is the penis, so you kind of know. So and this is a man. So the prostate is sitting. If you want to really massage it, you're gonna enter the anus and you kind of massage, you know, on the prostate, right? So
0: So wait, is it toward their like is it toward their balls? It's towards their like-
1: penis, yes, it's towards the ball. So If they are, let's say they are in knee chest position, like in a doggy style, you have the man down there, you know, this is like, this is his penis is hanging there, right? And their balls are here. So you want to, by the way, you're recording this. I think you should make a couple of clips out of this too. (laughs) I
0: think, I know we're going to have to share some videos. Share some videos for me. (laughs) 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 So, So this is the
1: penis you have here and this is the anus. So if you're entering from the anus, you are basically massaging toward the penis and you're massaging down. It kind of like, you can go side to side and you can find exactly where is the most sensitive part of it. Now, if they are too closed off to it, some people don't want finger, start from massaging just around here on the perineum. And what you can do, you can get like a mini wand or like a massager or something. And as, You are, you know, giving them a blowjob or something. This is the best test. You put one of these right here between anus and the balls and give them a blowjob, and they are going to be like, Wow, this is going crazy. And then slowly you can start lubing up their butt and put one finger, start massaging. When they get better with that, you can use either a butt plug or you can at the same time you can put one side of this. I love this toy because it's uh, kind of universal for men and women. A lot of men use this for, you know, uh, basically as the prostate massager. And this side of it is really good as a nipple stimulator. And do not underestimate the nipple in men. That is a very important area. For some men, Is not because they haven't explored it. When, once they start exploring it, You know, they are going to go crazy with it. And this is, I heard, I mean, I always, I tell my patients to start exploring. And then, oh, no, my husband says he doesn't like it. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Tell him, even if he doesn't like it, you start. They start getting used to that. And depending on, this is very funny, depending on how artistic you are for men, whether you use the right side of your brain more or the left side, one of the nipples is more sensitive. So as... All my, you know, male friends, people who their wives have started trying this on them. They're like, oh, you know what? His left nipple does not feel anything. His right nipple is amazing. I tell you, if you want to do like based on like a lay survey that I'm just asking people for men, if you want to try it, go for their right nipple. Seven out of ten. Based on what I know and I ask people, their their right nipple is way more sensitive, and mm-hmm. start tickling it and all those they're gonna love. They're gonna love it.
0: Wow! Oh my gosh, so informative. I love <laughs> this, <laughs> and you know too. I also feel like it's unfortunate that men haven't, or like those who have penises, haven't had as much freedom to explore their sexuality or not even sexuality I don't even want to say it like that like just explore what their sexual expression is and like their what gets them off and I think so many people like I get written in all the time on the podcast especially for like guys who are like how do I tell my girlfriend or my wife that I'm into like butt play and it's, they're always asking for tips and advice around it because they don't know how to introduce it. But I, I love, I love what you're sharing. And I also love this product line of yours. So can you tell me a little bit about what the inspiration was to create your own line of sexual wellness products? Also caveat, I, I'm not sure, but like, is this new? Like as of this year?
1: It is new. We actually came out with it uh, less than two months ago. We just launched it. Okay. But I've been working on it for almost five years on the gel. I've been giving it to my patients. We've been testing it, you know, uh on many people and it works really well so the gel i've been working on it for the past five years and we finally (laughs) we perfected it um but i'm going to tell you about the rest of them but to the guys because this is the question you probably get a lot more than me to the guys who are asking about how do they get their wife or their woman into butt play don't necessarily get them to butt play first just tell them about the angle you know they got to start and they, they, they got to use like a start from a small angle rectifier, you know, get the smallest one, lube it up and use it and show them how much better the angle of the vagina is going to be because they are going to enjoy sex so much better. That's how they can get them to do some butt play because you know, anus is a very, very important part. You've got to be gentle with it because of course you don't want to tear it. So you need to slowly tease it and play with it. But once you get into it, you you're gonna love it so much that
0: Yeah, that that everybody's gonna wanna be in no matter what. Be like, oh, exactly. Okay. Now but let turn. me tell
1: you, you said how they started. I basically we always wanted to do something that's very anatomically correct. So I always thought, oh, you know what, if we do, you know, a toy that can, because there are, they, they, this exists out there. But I wanted it to be more plastic and more like meaning that it stays in the position, different positions that we want to have. So that's how this is started uh, the angle rectifiers, we wanted to have more research on like, especially like the space we want to have. The one that I have was more about, you know, I want it to be super soft, I wanted it to be Uh, basically you using it with your partner, you don't need to change position, you can put it in any position and it still works. And then the other thing is one part of it was education and trying to do things that actually work anatomically, physiologically, and biomechanically, because I have my background is biomechanics, you know, how in different positions things change and all of those. So that was one reason. But the second thing is that I wanted to take the nastiness and basically dirty out of the sex story because I don't call them toys. I call them sexual devices because it really helps relationships. It's very good for anybody you know, to try them and getting good orgasms make you into a happier person.
0: Okay. Last, last question for you. We ask everybody this, what is currently, and you can decide whether you want this to be, um, your bedside table in your office or the one at home, but what is currently hanging out on your bedside table?
1: On my bedside table, I have the wall of vaginas, which uh, I have basically, right now, I'm in the middle of a move and we are doing uh, construction. That's why I just put something behind me. But uh, I have a wall with uh, 20 of these that are lined up. So there are different plasters that you have from wall and every one is different than the other one. So, because there are different people's wall was, So not to look the same. Wow. So that's behind me.
0: Do you keep any like books or sex toys? Like, what do you keep by your bedside? No, of
1: course. I mean, I have a lot of sex toys. Yes, uh, I, I have a lot of sex toys. But listen, I usually is for education. You know, I yes. just have them to, you know, teach people. And of course, when when you have them for education, you end up using them too. So I, yeah. yes, you have to. I mean, you have to. But it's, it's, it's good. You know, you got to practice what you preach.
0: I love it so much. All right, Dr. Rashi, this was such an informative episode. I, I already can't wait to have you back on for whenever you release your next um, product. But this, this is so great. Can we give listeners a potential discount code for, you know, maybe grabbing a toy or shopping online?
1: Of course. So uh, let's do, uh, they can go to get Saray. Like okay. G E T C E R E getsarray.com.
0: So, do we want to give like, um, like bedside the discount code bedside?
1: We can do bedside. Yeah. Just tell me bedside. We can do bedside 15. So they get 15% off. Sure.
0: Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. This is so, this has been great. And, um, Yeah, I I just so appreciate you coming on here and just sharing everything you know with us. I know that so many people are going to be walking away with a lot, a lot of insights, a lot of new tips to try out.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here.
0: What a treat. All right, well, have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode. What a treat to talk to Dr. Murashi, And I'm so grateful for him to offer an exclusive discount code to bedside listeners for his product. So if you want to be sure to check out getserae.com to get Dr. Murashi's physician developed line of pleasure tools, you will get 15% off if you use the discount code bedside15. So I'm so thrilled about that. I can't wait for you to go try out their products. If you loved this, please be sure to share it with a friend, share it with a lover, share it with someone who you're seeing. I mean, it is so informative, especially when we get into that anatomy piece. I am already so excited. I'm like, yes, everybody is going to go have amazing sex and go spice up their sex life after this episode, hands down. So what a treat to have him on. And if you love the show, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you got your podcasts even leave a written review. I'm just so happy to have you here and I can't wait to keep delivering amazing interviews in this new year. Have a wonderful rest of your week and I will catch you guys next. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at thebedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening.